Look at the size of that thing, Doctor. Yes, Jamie, it is a big one. It's gigantic. It's so large, I can't get it all in. Hello and welcome to episode 212 of the Bad Wolf Podcast. I'm Martin. Joining me this week is Chris. Chris, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, very well. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little bit tired today, but I just think that's because it's getting darker earlier and my body has not yet adjusted. My commute home every day at work is just uh, it's getting darker and darker. Uh, it's, it's getting it's getting a bit mis- <laughs> getting a bit miserable and bleak, but yeah. It's kind of depressing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a bit. Uh... <laughs> so absent this week is Sam. Now, you might remember last week we said that Sam had tried to smuggle a penguin out of London Zoo. He he did break out of jail, escaped the country, and last we heard, he's in Florida, where he attempts to cross down to Mexico and enter <laughs> the country there. So we wish him well. We do, yes. Yeah, um, hopefully he gets away with it. So uh, yeah, so goodbye, Sam, or as we will now know him, Hernandez Delgado. So, Chris, have you heard about the shitstorm that is Panopticon? <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was a parody. When I actually looked at the, <laughs> the, the thing, I thought I generally thought it was put together by someone doing a parody of a convention. Was it little comments like saying, like, don't worry, there might be a little bit of upskirting? <laughs> I first heard of them last week. I'm friends with the people that run Phantom Films, and they oh, run some hmm. really great Doctor Who events. I saw that they were being slagged off on Twitter by this Panopticon group. And I was like, okay, what's what's that? So I looked into it. And then last night when I was going to bed, I saw a bunch of outrage on Twitter. And it was the normal sort of suspects that complain when you say manhole cover. So I was like, okay, what's this? Yeah. And then when I looked into it, I was like, oh, no, this is like a genuine upset. Yeah, it was something like um, you can sit in the front row and take pictures up Katie Manning's skirt and then in brackets or Fraser Hines. It was like really weird. And then apparently if you go in cosplay, you're, you've got to pay an extra £20 to not be hit in the face with a custard pie. <laughs> yeah, that's... It, that's... I just... This and it's genuine. It's absolutely hundred percent genuine. And people have complained and like reached out to them, and they're like, "It's a joke." They've kind of changed their stance now, and they're saying that they were conducting market research to see which of their customers have a sense of humour. That's basically the smuggest way of saying I was being a dick and got yeah. called out for it. Really, <laughs> I mean. Maybe it's one of those things where if you'd heard the tone of their voice, you'd be like, all right, this guy is just dicking about. But because it's on like an official website in text up there, it's like it comes across a lot more serious than what it was intended. Then all you have to say is, oh, look, we didn't mean it. We'll, we'll change the word in. Blah, de blah. I think it's a bit different when they've written it on the, you know, the sort of uh, come to our, you know, on an official website sort yeah. of thing. If you were sitting in the, but like you say, if you were sitting in the pub or something, and someone uh, and made those made those comments in, in a sort of a jokey way, it would have been, you know, you probably thought nothing of it, really. But because they've put it on like the, you know, like <laughs> the the effing, <laughs> the frequently asked questions page and sort of things out, making it look look official, people are like, 
is this a, is this a joke? <laughs> yeah, apparently the phantom flan flinger will hit you with a custard pie if you don't pay 20 quid for the lanyard that says don't hit me with a custard pie. So you've got to pay 20 quid not to be assaulted yeah, with, a, a, what with a weird pay- policy. With a, with, with a cake, right, okay. And they've also asked that cosplayers have written consent from the BBC before they attend. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> this is coming across as if me and Jared organised this convention. <laughs> it does feel like this sort of... I did joke to... I said to um, the, the, the Hoovers lot and... Uh, uh, the, you know, the, uh, do you know what? Having been around the conventions a bit, I sort of got to know what the panic is behind the scenes, and the sort of like everything trying to spin many plates at once and getting guests to where they need to be. And I thought, you know, there's a good comedy in that. There's a good you could do a parody or a, you know, I, I've still got that sort of park somewhere. I want to do that. A sort of the thick of it type of thing. That's a genius idea at, at a convention. And uh, I think they they showed this as actually, you know, as a, that'll be a really fun idea. And a few of the people who do the, some stewarding at uh, the Hooverville, they said, oh, we've got stories. And I said, oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that you would really want. This just sounds like the convention we would make up for it. (laughs) You know, I went to the SFX Weekender once. Uh, Mm. It was a great, great time. I got really drunk with Eve Miles and the Farris Project. But Colin Baker showed up a day early to the hotel. He wasn't booked in until the Saturday night. He showed up on the Friday. And I was Uh. there when the PR people were having the panic of there's no available rooms for him. Why the fuck has he shown up today? (laughs) <laughs> and it turns out like his agent had just given him the wrong date and then they had to i think they had to go to like the next town and take him there and put him <laughs> up in a hotel and then get a car for him to bring him to the pontins or wherever it was oh, the next day it was crazy i remember i'm saying lucy i'm not going to say what convention it was what guest it was or or, or such or but so, but <laughs> there was a convention a while ago where one of the guests got left at the train station, tried to call through. He ended up having to call through people he'd work with who'd worked with other people who'd, who'd worked with the organisers. Oh, wow. Before, get it, before they went, ah, okay. And they got onto the person who was meant to pick him up. And they were like, oh, okay. Uh, oh, <laughs> sorry shit. about that. And uh, yeah, he was there for about, I think he was left there for about 40 minutes to an hour. So it was <laughs> I know that um, Katie Manning has fallen asleep often on a train and missed her stop <laughs> when going to a convention. And then turns up with the energy of, hello, darlings. There's a magical place we're on our way there With toys in the millions all under one roof It's called Toys of Us Soon after bedtime when dark night time falls Jeffrey and helpers stock up all the shelves Who's feeling to fall? So, Chris, I alluded to Colin Baker earlier. We're here to talk about the two doctors. When you travel around as much as I do, it's almost inevitable that you'll run into yourself at some point. I've come a long way for you. Naturally. Don't expect any thanks. Perhaps you should see a doctor. Are you trying to be funny? He's not the doctor I know. 
So when did you first experience this story? Experience is the right term for it. Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> actually, I know, I, really, I do enjoy it. It's just a very disturbing three-part story of, that you'll ever sit and watch. Pretty dark in places as well. That's horrific. I think I, I was watching it on UK Gold when it when it come did because it, it I started when it was the Time Monster of John Pertwee. So it, as it as it proceeded, eventually it got to the Sixth Doctor. I remember going to the library and getting the VHS of it and uh, just having a watch of that. I really enjoyed it for the most part. I think I liked the music, I liked the Sontarans in it. I didn't really care at that age that the fact that Sontarans were meant to be small, but yet this one was about six foot, <laughs> or that the helmets didn't fit. <laughs> um, it just, I don't know, it just got more grippy. But the older I got, the more it just got dark. I mean, Shock Eye terrified me. Oh, um, he's played so well. It's it's a her- terrifying, hideous character who just is a cannibal, essentially. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the bit where he goes, my pretty, <laughs> I've got you now. And he's just about to, like, grab uh, Nicola Bryant. <laughs> Even his death is quite frightening as well because the doctor effectively cyanides him. He d- uh, yeah, he murders he him. He actually murders him. How do you feel about the Doctor committing an act like that? Because in this moment, I don't mind. Because Shockeye has just injured him. And Mm. if he catches him, he is going to kill him. So in a scenario where it's the Doctor or the other guy, I don't mind the Doctor doing something like this. No, I've never really given a damn. It's, you know, the whole sort of thing of, am I a good man sort of story. I I couldn't give a toss because I know for a fact that he's done terrible things before (laughs) the time war. It's like watching, I don't know, if you watch a Marvel film and go, well, it, I didn't want uh, Iron Man to kill all those people. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, it's sort of that just, they have to. They yeah. kill because they have to. It's just how it is. The Doctor is no exception. I mean, he melts an ice warrior. <laughs> I remember Patrick Troughton melting an ice warrior with two lamps. <laughs> <laughs> There's the one bit I always remember is that Tom Baker's Doctor in a, um, sorry, um, oh, what's it called? Morbius. I've forgotten what it's called now. Oh, the brain of Morbius. Brain of Morbius, that's it. I don't know why I was thinking the curse of Morbius. I, I don't know. He stops Soren by <laughs> getting <laughs> cyanide to go up through the vents <laughs> and kills him. Yeah. It's, the, it's cold-blooded as hell. Uh, but and, and it was fruitless because he still doesn't stop Morbius. But yeah, no, that Shockeye one was just was just terrifying. Uh, but... Yeah, as you rightly say, if he had, it was either him or I didn't pay any attention until I got older. Because it all kicked off when Superman broke Zod's neck in Man of Steel. And I've always just been of the opinion, what else was he meant to do with this superpowered being? I think people are just a bit, (laughs) I hate to go down there, you you woke lot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He suddenly goes, oh, I feel sorry for Shockeye. I really didn't expect, you know, he didn't deserve that. And I go, yes, he did. He fucking ate people. (laughs) (laughs) His death was the most satisfying thing. You don't get to the end of a James Bond film and think when he's killed the henchman off. Do you know, I wish he hadn't. Uh, It's something that the new Doctor Who does a lot, which is that they seem to make all the villains misunderstood characters. But actually, some of them are just evil dicks. Yeah. (laughs) And they just have to be destroyed. I think the Doctor's destroyed several Daleks in his lifetime. Easily just, yeah, just mothball, um, (laughs) cannibal. That'd be fine. Is this the story that kicks off the Series 6B theory? It is, I think. And people... People have actually pitched that to me. They said, well, why don't you do series six, uh, season 6B? 
because uh, he gets uh, rather than just falling into John Pertwee uh, at the end of War Games, uh, he gets taken out of time to do jobs for the Celestial Intervention Agency, and he gets Jamie back. He gets Victoria back. Apparently, I don't know. I've never actually really cared for that part of it so i've never really wanted to do it but unless big finish want to do it in that case um, i'll be happy to oblige. <laughs> um by the way it'll be the most amazing thing ever and so good idea i think it all stemmed from the two doctors i think it was like the fans way of making up well where does this fit in yeah <laughs> and why said... the doctor looks older and why jamie looks older and he mentions he was exiled as well there was a fan film a couple of years ago, well, I say a couple of years ago, probably about 10 years ago now. I never saw it myself, but it was advertised quite heavily in SFX magazine. And they so- found this guy that looked exactly like Patrick Troughton and John Pertwee. He had like features of both of them. And somebody made a fan film called The 2.5th Doctor. And I've uh-huh. never been able to find this fan film anywhere, but I distinctly remember reading about it. And it was like that period after he had been sent to Earth by the Time Lords, but before mm. he had fully regenerated into John Pertwee. Right. And I always thought that's quite an interesting tale. If there was a like a half doctor that was out there. I've seen on YouTube people have darkened Troughton's hair in this. Oh, it made him look more like he used to. He definitely should have. I think the colours were a bit wrong in that. He he looks. He did. He does look a lot better with uh, darkened hair. Yeah, maybe it's filming something else and couldn't. Maybe, maybe. I'm not sure what the executive decision of it was. I know he sort of considered it as a. It was a great holiday for him. Filmed in Seville. Yeah, he, he, he went out to Seville. There's some brilliant photos of him, uh, Nicola Bryant, uh, Fraser Hines, and Colin Baker all in a swimming pool together. Oh. And yeah, it, it sounds sordid when I say it like that. Pat was on Colin's shoulders at one point. You know, you turn up to a resort and you see other people come along, and they're either a bit more dramatic than you or they're less dramatic. Yeah. And I like to think you're sitting there lounging by the sub bed, and there's something you see <laughs> two Doctor Who uh, actors just <laughs> fighting each other <laughs> with war, having you know, play fights and volleyball, such yeah. and such. This was quite a weird story because it was the first one that wasn't done as an anniversary special. And mm. to like put into context how weird this is, it was Colin Baker's first series. So that's yeah. kind of that's kind of the equivalent of in Jodie Whittaker's first series if they'd put David Tennant in an episode. Well, it was all that thing uh, they kept saying about uh, David Tennant just popping up in Matt Smith's sort of yeah. first second years and I always thought that would be wrong because if you do that you sort of just remind people <laughs> of, you just get them comparing and thinking of the other. Yeah personally which, I didn't like yeah. it when Matt Smith turned up in Deep Breath No, no It I, didn't work for me, I thought that was yeah it was just like having Tom Baker turn up in Peter Davison's first episode it would have just been completely jarring and pointless and that's how it felt to me I know Sam a- liked it but you know what, he's on mm. the run. So <laughs> I think I heard that Tom Baker didn't really. Uh, I think one of the reasons he didn't want to return to the Five Doctors was for that reason as well. It was too soon. Yeah, it was too soon, and uh, he'd rather just let the other new guy do it. I think Tom Baker did go on the record and say that it was likewise. John Pertwee didn't really give him any advice, and likewise, he didn't give Peter Davison any advice because sure. he he felt like it was uh, wasn't his place wasn't to do his it. Place. I think someone pointed this out, but it is the last sort of six-part length episode, isn't it? Because I didn't realise until a lot later, because I was just so engulfed in it, that uh, each episode was still at the 45 minutes. Yeah. I was like, I was, I just had some reason I was uh, 
wondering why there's three episodes of this. So it's like technically a six-parter. Yeah, technically. Yeah, that's what somebody said on Facebook when I posted mm. that we were doing this. They were like, oh, the last six episode story in all but editing. Mm. So, and yeah, they're right. I, I prefer the 45 minute format. I think it works. In fact, I quite, I, I even said this as the new series went on was I would actually like the episodes to follow that sort of thing where you have part one, part two, part three, but you know, no, part one and part two, then next story, part one, part two. Yeah. Because you get at least one cliffhanger in there. And it just paced it a bit better, which they kind of started did in series nine. I actually kind of wanted them to do a sort of do it that way. I got sort of into because Sarah Jane Adventures did that. They did like part one, part two. And I thought, actually, I wonder if it's worth them putting all their effort into six good stories than rather than 13 individual separate ones. Well, who knows what's coming with series 12? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably just more of the same, but we'll never know. I found myself really wishing that Jamie had stayed on with the Sixth Doctor and Perry because he works so incredibly well. And because he's a mm. previous companion, that yeah. means he's got the trust of both the Doctor and Perry instantly. Perry's got someone to confine with because my biggest problem with the Sixth Doctor and Perry is why the fuck is she with him? Yeah. Yeah, I don't get that. I've never understood that. And there's even one scene in this where she clearly mouths asshole <laughs> when he's talking. And you just think, why yeah. Why is she there? But by adding Jamie, gives her somebody to vent to. He can kind of defuse the situation. And I can't help but wish Chibna would do this. Like maybe bring back Martha and Mickey and put them with the 13th Doctor. Mm. Yeah, I just found myself wishing that Jamie had stayed. But I came to the Sith Doctor after hearing him on Big Finish, and let me tell you, if you come from Big Finish to the Sixth Doctor's TV episodes, it's a massive letdown. Because on Big Finish, like you've always said, they've got the fortune of hindsight. So they yeah. can look at what worked, what didn't. So when you're listening to a Big Finish story, the people have kind of been writing that in their heads for years, and it's good and then you come back to the Sith Doctor TV era, and it's a bit shit. Yeah, it's a big culture jump, isn't it? There were some people uh, that, to be fair, there are bits to enjoy, but it, it really is the most, it is a very divisive era. And I do feel sorry for Colin, because he was the only Doctor to really get the sack. Yeah. Uh, unless Jodie doesn't. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> um, <laughs> um he was yeah, but Colin was the only one to get the sack. He, you know, and he's been such a great advocate for the show. And uh, out of anyone yeah. ever involved with Doctor Who, he's the mm. one that has the right to be like fuck Doctor Who and never touch it again. But the fact that he's he's still such a great ambassador for the entire show and continues to do yeah. finish and conventions. And I know you could argue, yeah, but he's making this amount of money from Doctor Who every year with the conventions and audios and stuff. But still, if you weren't enjoying it and you'd had this bad experience, you wouldn't do it. It's a difference with that Chris Eccleston, isn't it? He, yeah. he, did, he did leave. You know, Colin definitely went through a lot more than Chris did. Oh, uh, in terms of this production hierarchy that, he's, that he was against. But I don't know, maybe like Colin, he'll come back around a bit. So, did Colin immediately sort of he must have been quite pissed off because i know he was the, you know he told them to basically fuck off when uh yeah. when they said do you want to come back to do the regeneration well that was because it would have been a year later yeah so the condition for him coming back would have been that he was essentially unemployable to any casting director out there because they mm. would have thought he had a job yeah so he the bbc were asking him to not work for a year 
to come and film a 30-second regeneration. So he was like, well, it's not worth it. This story was originally set in New Orleans, but I couldn't find out why they changed it to Seville. I think it must be down to a f- uh, cost, wasn't it? Um, probably. probably. I mean, it's easier to get to Seville than it is to get to New Orleans. New Orleans. Uh, yeah. It's only like two hours away. It's a, it's a very odd episode. It's a brilliant performance by Jacqueline Pierce, though, I must admit. That's the thing. Everyone involved in this is given 110%. Oh, yeah. And the poor guys in those Santaran costumes. Oh, in God, In that yeah. heat. And I know they tried to film them in the morning so that it wasn't as hot. But can you imagine being in that costume, in that heat, and still giving a good performance? Yeah, he goes, shut the craft to self-destruct, please. It's fucking boiling out here. <laughs> you just don't want to imagine that how much sweat they must be swimming in in that thing. Cosplayers will get at the end of a busy day and just sort of have to drain it out but this is this is gonna be fucking grim it's like walking around in an aqua suit i remember camille kajuri saying once that one of the cybermen had a cold when they were filming and by the time they took his helmet off it wasn't a pretty sight oh. <laughs> it must have been the same but with sweat these santarans <laughs> they must have yeah they must have been showering and stuff oh, i mean <laughs> i just see so this cyberman just sort of it's like <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh fuck <laughs> and just having to have that oh, down your face. Uh, <laughs> but I, I enjoy this story there's a lot of deep debates you could have about eugenics and selected breeding and genocide Dasari, he kept reminding me of that um fashion designer Cole Lagerford was it the guy I'm with the white hair who used to go around with like young male models that all look like him uh, let's have a <laughs> yeah, I just looked him up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see couldn't that. help but think of him. And the lady who throws the rose down to him, she was the translator for Gary Downey when he was out doing like location scouting. Oh, really? Yeah, and I didn't realize that Gary Downey was JNT's boyfriend until I was looking up this episode. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, um, yeah, they were in a relationship. And apparently they used to go to conventions looking for quote unquote doable barkers. <laughs> and that was Doctor Who fans that also happened to be good looking. <laughs> good. God. That's a great name for a podcast. I'm surprised that didn't make it onto the Panopticon website. <laughs> <laughs> Please only come if you are a doable barker. <laughs> Whilst we're on this subject, I guess this <laughs> whole entire era, there's an extra on the DVD I watched. It's called In a Fix with the Santarans, and it features the sixth Doctor, Tegan, for some reason, and a young lad called Gareth Jenkins. Gareth and Jenkins, isn't it? Jenkins, that's it. I, I remember that name purely because I remember being quite envious of him for many years until <laughs> until about 2000, <laughs> 2013 or fourteen when they, when everything came out. I was like, oh, actually, I don't I don't envy you at all. I'd love to talk to him now because he must have had this great memory for like thirty years of this little Doctor Who sketch that he made, and now yeah. when he looks back, the connotations that are now attached to that happy memory must be <laughs> like a gut punch to him. It's so weird when the Sith Doctor says there's something coming on the screens it's horrendous and it's an image of Jimmy Savile yeah I am right in believing they did try and remove that from any future DVDs I did hear that didn't I but um, I'm not actually... I don't know but yeah it's just the connotations that now come with that my uncle passed away from cancer a few years ago but prior to that when he was a teenager he had a kidney transplant and since then he would do a lot for like 
kidney charities and when yeah. he passed we had to go around to his flat and like clear it out and stuff and when i walked down his hallway there were all these pictures turned to the wall with smashed glass on the floor and i was like well, that's weird so i flipped them round, and they were all pictures of my uncle and jimmy savile from like various different marathons going back through the days oh my god the day after he found out he had cancer that was completely uncurable he had like three different separate types of cancer the day after he found that out was the day the Jimmy Savile revelations came to light. So I imagine in a fit of rage, he smashed all these pictures and then flipped them to the wall and then just didn't get the chance to uh, take them down or clear up the glass or anything because he only lived like three or four weeks after that. Oh, bloody hell. It's kind of horrific. But obviously my uncle's pain has nothing to do with what the kids went through or anything like that and it doesn't Mm. compare to that. But I've always kind of felt like my uncle had these happy memories of all these years and being like oh yeah I met Jimmy Savile he was nice we ran a race together yeah, yeah I imagine that's kind of what Gareth guy probably feels yeah I had a dream made for me in Doctor Who and uh it got yeah it's it's horrible um someone I used to be a, f- a friend of uh a long long time ago who uh I don't know it wasn't his friend turned out he was a he was a bit of a bit of a nonce <sighs> um and there was a few it really did make a gut punch to people were going by I used to love watching that, you know. Uh, yeah. I think it's just it is a horrible, horrible realization, and it's it's a huge shame. But as I say, I was really envious of Gareth Jenkins up until that point. I mean, why wouldn't you be? I mean, he's living yeah. every Doctor Who fan's dream, and he's yeah in a scene with the Doctor. I bet for years he was telling anyone who would listen that he, that he did that, and now it's probably something he doesn't really talk about. Yeah, hang on a moment. I think I didn't see. Uh, let me see here. I think I found him actually. Oh, okay, he, he's on Twitter. Oh, yeah. yeah. He says uh, it was a tweet from 2012 saying, "My Doctor Who Jim will fix it. If only I'd known who the real monster was to be turned into little green bits." Hashtag Savile. I bet that was such a bad day for Gareth. And I, I mean, I, I don't say that lightly, and I don't want to cast any sort of more empathy on him than the kids that Jimmy mm-hmm. Savile abuse should get. But should we talk about happier things? Yeah, let's, uh, back to cannibalism. Back to uh, cannibalism. What do you make of the second doctor being turned into an androgam or what are they called androgons androgams isn't yeah. It? yeah which was i think it was a bit i'm sure that was an anagram of something i can't remember what it was probably yeah, yeah bizarre really odd <laughs> and so you sort of wonder they got pat troughton back to do this <laughs> <laughs> but i do love that it affects the sixth doctor as well he feels the pain of all the changes in a very disturbing way i mean yeah. he looks at uh, there's one line that's always stuck with me ever since and i think about it all the time he says there are many, there are many ways to skin a cat then <laughs> <laughs> he licks his lips the sick yeah. bastard it's a really horrific episode but i do think that's some amazing moments i mean there's star uh it's, it's not star is it what's his name what's the lead santaran's name uh santaran number one <laughs> there's a brilliant scene where he's uh, got Jamie hostage and then Jamie like stabs him with his knife in his leg and then a bit of laser fire it's really awesome I'm just like oh wow that's, this is really cool at the end you go bloody hell <laughs> <laughs> so what do you make of the Santarans trying to build a TARDIS alright <laughs> I think it makes sense why wouldn't they want time travel technology well they've always said that haven't they, they I think it's always been their call goes, we are the Santarians 
we, we Sontarans, we, we were never involved in the time war. You know, all these various... It was such a great war that we weren't allowed to be part of it. <laughs> I feel like it is their venture, really. They just Time travel is the ultimate endgame, and only sort of creatures like the Daleks have ever been successful at doing it. What do you make of Jacqueline Pierce in this? Because she's incredible. Oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I remember watching, like, obviously, Blake 7 or bits of Blake 7. And it used to be on, like, literally just before Doctor Who was on UK Gold in the mornings. Yeah, so I sort of knew her from that. And then so I guess, oh, it's her from Blake 7. No, but she was she was very, very good. She's, you know, she's, I've never seen Blake 7. I say I still, I haven't seen it properly. I, I remember I remember seeing there watching bits of it, but not really getting into it. Um, I think I probably will now, if I did it now. But I know she's obviously famous from it. She's notoriously good at playing camp villains, but the villains aren't just sort of like 2D characters. There's some real t- sort of twisted depths to it. It's a really captivating performance. And you just can't help. Uh, Absolutely. You, you, don't, you can't look away. And likewise with her other performances, she does uh, like, I think one of her recent ones was uh, playing Cardinal Lystra in the uh, Time War uh, saga that they do on Big sure. Finish. And uh, even that, she's she's a villain but not a villain she's a very impacting actress and uh yeah god rest her really we've had her on this podcast have you yeah pete went to a phantom films event and interviewed her and she's one of six people that have appeared on this podcast who then later died you could have told me this before i I like this story i can see its problems Mm. but it's a lot of fun uh it's also (laughs) harrowing as fuck but i I like it the first bit is the Doctor thinks he's dead. He thinks yeah. he's been killed. And he's just waiting for time to collapse on him. It's just really dark. I mean, that scene where they're all in the tube is fucking terrifying. And it's all it is is just them screaming in a glass tube. <laughs> I like the way it starts when it looks like it could just be an old episode of Doctor Who. And it's such an interesting way to start it. Yeah. I imagine because so many episodes were missing, I wonder if there's anyone back in the day watching it thinking, oh, they must be playing an old episode that I've not seen. They must have been confused as hell to go from the really bright uh, title sequence to then suddenly no colour at all. But I like that Fraser Hines has back i like that patrick mm. troughton was back and like i said i just really wish fraser hines had stuck around with the sith doctor and perry oh yeah definitely that would have been such a great dynamic but i think he was uh he was doing emmerdale at the time i think they managed to get some holiday for him so he could go and do it because that was a sort of th- a factor in like his previous comebacks like the five doctors and whatnot it was finding the time around emmerdale the most depressing thing about this is there's only about four people who were involved with this that are still alive yeah what do you make of oscar and the waitress i can't remember her name heartbreaking when oscar is uh spoiler alert dead uh <laughs> when he gets uh, stabbed by Shockeye, it, oh my god, it is really, really just horrible. It really felt like one of those characters you just, I think everyone must have mourned him yeah, when he died. And that, doesn't, and that doesn't happen often with like characters in Doctor Who, like uh, secondary or tertiary characters. A brilliant, brilliant standalone character. It was a bit annoying in, in some ways, but then when he died, he was like, oh no, that was... They really set up their backstory really well. Like These were two people mm. that kind of liked each other but neither of them had ever really expressed their feelings yeah and yeah it's it's just heart-wrenching that he was killed before he got the chance to tell her or she got the chance to tell him oh oh, yeah and that the only other time i can think of like secondary characters that have had this emotional aspect 
oddly, is with Chris Chibnall's first episode, The Woman Who Fell to Earth. People on Twitter mm. really felt for that granddad security guard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah He's yeah, on the phone yeah. to his granddaughter going, oh, I'm so lucky to be your granddad and blah, 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 blah. And then he's killed. That's a gut-wrenching reaction, but I can't think of any other character prior to that that's had that kind of impact. No, I think it's also the manner in which he died as well. It was just, you know, it was just stabbed if you watch a program if you watch like game of thrones or 24 and you know they're either killed by just an unexpected stabbing or some reason doesn't have the effect as this did well with like 24 they're kind of doing that job they are police of a sort yeah and you know that they've signed up for it that is a risk and although it's it's a sad risk Mm. it's not as sad as when a guy who's just running a restaurant for his mate mm. is stabbed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's all thanks to the Doctor. <laughs> Another victim of the Doctor. <laughs> He's uh, Andragum conversion. Bloody strange. But yeah, that was that was sad. I watched a few extras on this, and there was a Shockwave extra, which I guess was a radio show from back around this era, and it had interviews with Colin Baker and Patrick Trout and Nicola Bryant. And interestingly, Nicola mm. Bryant sounds more American in this Shockwave interview than she does in the entire run of Doctor Who. <laughs> and I don't know if that's just something that she'd done the accent for so long that it kind of stuck into her proper accent. Because I remember yeah. when I did a play the director said oh we need an american and for six months we rehearsed this fucking play and i was in this play and on opening night he went you know what kill the american thing and for the whole six months of doing this this play and building it up and stuff the director had told me to speak in an american accent in my day-to-day life Uh... to the point that even four years after the play i still had a twang in my voice that people would ask me where i was from so i imagine it's kind of something like that maybe the accent just stuck with her maybe yeah i suppose it would it's well yeah i I think any exposure to that length of time especially when you're putting it on only accent you seem to be paid to do (laughs) Uh, i think dr who was her first job out in a drama school as well. When was Blackadder? Christmas Carol. Uh, that was after the after Doctor Who, I think. Oh, just have a look. Eighty six, maybe. Eighty eight. Yeah, yeah, it was. I always thought she looked younger in that than she did in a. And she uh, did in a. Maybe it's the lighting. Maybe, maybe. I met Nicola Bryant once. She's really nice. I think I've walked past her before. Yeah, I uh, met her at um, Hooverville. Hooverville Free. Ah. Yeah, and I got a picture with her. She had an eye patch for some reason. I can't remember why. There's also an extra with Gary Downey where he's taking people around the locations and talking about how they came to be, etc. And he is probably the worst presenter of anything I've ever seen. He's not natural in front of the camera at all. There's uh, there's loads of uh, bits like uh, I think Silver Nemesis making of has got him sort of, you know, let's make magic. He's a character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he had this really weird accent on the DVD, and I was like, oh, that's weird. I googled him. He's originally from South Africa, so he's got like this weird, almost English, but not quite accent. He's just not natural in front of the camera as well. And they tried to hide it by making him walk and stuff like that. (laughs) But anyway, Chris, I think that about wraps it up. I know that you've only got an hour to spare, so I want to give you time to get off. So what are you attempting to do? Is it another prison break for Sam, or have you got to smuggle him some passports or something? No, I've I've, uh, I've, I've left that life behind me. Um, And uh, like like Sam's trying to do, really. I hope he's listening, wherever he is. 
Um, yeah, drop us a line, Sam. Obviously through the secure channels. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Get a VPN. Before we go, I would like to say that I have launched a Patreon for us. It's so that we can buy some new equipment. Don't feel obligated. If you can't donate, don't feel like we're pressuring you to or anything like that. But the best way you can help the podcast is if you buy stuff via Amazon. If you click on our link, it will cost you no money, but we will get a little kickback for it and then we can buy the equipment that we need. Oh, lovely. I guess we'll be back next week where we'll talk some more nonsense. Yeah. Yeah.